Today's scripture comes from the book of 1 Peter. The first part is chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then from chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, in today's message, uh, we're going to reference terms that may make some of us uncomfortable. Words like submit and suffering and bearing burdens. Terms like these may trigger uh, negative associations for you. And admittedly and sadly, the text that we just heard read uh, has been used to justify oppression and harm fellow human beings. Texts like 1 Peter 2 have been used by those with cultural and political power to maintain their power over others at, the expense, at their expense. And this text has also been used to justify slavery in colonial America. Chapter 3, the following chapter, has also been used by some to instruct people, mostly women, to stay in abusive uh, relationships. And if this has happened to you, I am very, very sorry. While this has happened, it should not have happened. The words of Scripture in these cases have not been preached or applied in line with the character of God revealed in Scripture. However, we do find that these words are in Holy Scripture, that we believe are inspired by the living God. And Scriptures are the way that God has revealed His character and will to the world, particularly in the person and work of Jesus. So our task as followers of Christ is 
not to react to misapplications of texts by avoiding these texts or reacting to them with our modern baggage. Instead, we are to trust the Holy Spirit to graciously guide us in unpacking what God had to say through texts like these to their original hearers, and from there, begin to hear what God has to say to us today. So as we begin, it may be helpful first to identify who Peter is writing to and why it seems that Peter encourages them to submit to environments where they are suffering. We discover that his goal to, is, is to encourage and to help them remember their source of their hope and security. If you, as you look at the beginning uh, sta uh, statements of this entire letter, Peter tells us that his audience is the Christian Gentile diaspora in the Mediterranean region. He greets the elect exiles, in quotes, sisters and brothers who have responded to the gracious invitation of God revealed in Christ. And Peter, as a loving shepherd, identifies with and encourages them to uh, with warmth and grace, because they are enduring suffering. They're enduring persecution as they live out their faith in a culture that does not share their convictions. So the heart of this entire letter is an instruction for them to recall who they belong to, to recognize the difficult circumstances that they live under, and to remember who they ultimately submit to. Throughout this letter, he reminds them to give themselves entirely to God, despite their circumstances. Peter writes to, a church, to church communities that are grappling with how to live faithfully to Jesus in the context of a wider culture that does not share their convictions. And this lack of shared belief and convictions leads to a particular form of suffering that we might identify with even today. For them and for us, there's a sense of internal suffering, of hedging the expression of our true convictions for fear of what others might think. There might be persecution for our beliefs, and social exclusion because of particular moral and ethical standards that are informed by following Christ. Perhaps there are even laws and authority structures that may challenge the people of God and how they live out their faith. And perhaps there was even physical suffering. All these things were going on and being experienced by the church that Peter writes to. Yet Peter addresses all of his readers to to a path of submission. Take a look at verses thir two, uh, 13 and 18 and the beginning of chapter uh, 3. In the text today, Peter speaking, uh, speaks specifically to subjects living under the shadow of foreign occupation in the Roman Empire who demanded complete worship of Caesar as Lord of all. In fact, he was like, likely writing in the age of Nero, one of the most violent Roman emperors. Yet Peter still sees this state or this ruling authority as appointed by God for the maintenance of certain values that help a society function. In verse 18, he goes on to speak to slaves who are working for their masters. And in verse 13, he addresses wives who are in a relationship with their unbelieving husbands. So with all of this submission talk, let me offer a couple of observations that are helpful to defray some of our modern-day concerns of subjugation and abuse when we approach texts like these. In verse 13, he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Listen to what Peter is saying here. He's not speaking to those who are the cause of suffering, 
or to those who hold power in society. And neither is he speaking to those who have the means or a strategy to overthrow those with unjust power, at least here in these texts. For Peter, relief from persecution does not mean getting rid of the perpetrators and oppressors. Instead, he addresses those who are persecuted to submit themselves, quote, for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Now, we often look, overlook the significance of who he's talking to here in a place like Washington, D.C. I think no one would take a strategy like this. To make a significant difference, you need to have influence. You need to network with the right people and have enough money. You need to have that kind of power. And so those are the kinds of people that you would speak, seek out and address. But for Peter, like Paul in many of his letters and Jesus in much of his ministry, they're directly addressing those who are ruled, the slaves and, the, and wives. Now, it would be like writing a letter to change our COVID protocols in D.C. by speaking to undocumented immigrants and to those who live in Ward 7 and 8, rather than the mayor and Congress. That's what's going on here when Peter writes. Addressing those who hold positions of little societal power, though, was in fact a huge affirmation of their value and importance. Why would this new sect of Judaism even bother with those without power? We find that it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel offers a power that far exceeds and endures far longer than any other earthly power. Peter addresses those who are living under persecution to help them see who they are truly slaves of and subject to. In verse 16, that's where he's, he goes on to say, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Live as God's slaves. Peter, Peter's instructions are a reminder that the burden of submitting to earthly authorities, whether it's governmental or work or family relationships can ultimately be freeing if we live out those relationships as a slave of the living God. Because God is the only master in the universe who is truly loving and benevolent. And essentially, Peter was saying, living under the authority of others does not mean that you are not free. If you realize the kind of freedom you have by submitting to God first. Let me repeat that. Living under the authority of others does not mean that you are not free if you realize the kind of freedom you have by submitting to God first. You know, addressing those who lived under authority of others with little cultural power may explain why the Christian faith grew so quickly despite being a fringe sect of Judaism in Roman-occupied Palestine. The good news of Jesus did not just apply to the powerful and those with authority, but equally to those who held little power or perceived power and authority in the world's eyes. It's a reality that becomes even clearer in the second group that Peter addresses. In verse 18, he speaks to the slaves, saying, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. These are hard words for us. We might struggle with the term slave and master here, particularly with the shadow of the transatlantic slave trade looming behind us. When we hear and read the word slave in, in texts like these, the slavery we might have in mind is race-based, chattel slavery, 
where slaves were separated from family members and they were bought and traded and sold with no end of slavery in sight. While that was, it could have happened like that, most of the slavery in ancient times, like that described here, was, was um, indentured ser servitude. And they, 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 they became slaves or indentured servants as captives of war or where slaves chose to enter into that relationship with their master for a period of time, usually 15 years, to work off their debt to their master before being set free together with their whole family. Now, this doesn't mean that abuse didn't take place, but the kind of slavery differed in duration, in, in the kind of dignity, and in nature from the slavery most of us have in mind when we uh, coming from America. Though imbalance of power was evident and abuse may have happened in these relationships, none of the New Testament writers, including Jesus himself and his ministry, were primarily concerned with overthrowing those kinds of relationships. Why do you think that is? Perhaps it's the kind of freedom that Jesus came to secure for us. You see, being under authority of others may seem like a burden in our culture that values autonomy and freedom. We're looking for freedom from the burdens of being in a place where we, don't have, uh, where we don't have to submit to others. We think freedom is being our own bosses, is having our agency, is be having, approaching our investments with the FIRE strategy that I've learned about. Financial independence, retire early. We want uh, the freedom by getting out of a dead-end job. We want freedom by electing the kind of parties and politicians that we want to be in power. Yet we find that, that only that being your own boss or managing your own invest, investment portfolio or getting a new job or getting a new party in power doesn't always bring the freedom that we think. It just brings a different set of burdens that we have to live under. They come with a different uh, priorities that we must submit to. Peter's letter reminds us that until Jesus returns and establishes a new heaven and a new earth, the burdens that we hope to be free from in this life may always continue to be burdens, no matter who holds the power. But the good news of Jesus found in the Christian story also means that we can submit to every human authority in light of the ultimate authority of the living God of the universe who holds all things together. You see, your boss will not outlive God. Senators and Supreme Court justices do have term limits even if their office doesn't have term limits. They're limited to the term of their life. But God is eternal. To put it another way, true freedom is not limited by the earth, degree of earthly freedom we experience in this life. And so Peter encourages his readers over and over again to live according to a different storyline. He says to do good regardless of who you are submitting to. We see that over and over again in verse 12. Where, where he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Verse 20, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. He speaks to all. He speaks to those living under governing authority. He speaks to slaves. Over and over again, Peter is saying, do good. In Peter's mind, doing good is not just living a moral life, but it's living a godly, holy life, 
life in face of the persecution and hardship that they faced. The path through hardship we find is not cancel culture or power plays as the world models for us. Instead, the path through persecution is to follow a different storyline. It's a storyline that doesn't necessarily get the headlines. One of the reasons that we that the Christian faith spread despite the persecution was that people gradually saw there really was a new way of living that nobody could have ever imagined was possible. They could see it in the results of of slaves, in local residents living under the occupation of a foreign empire. They could see that these ones who held no power in the eyes of the world experienced a strength and a resolve that could not be explained, at least in the world's framework. Here's another way of putting it. Followers of Christ can live godly and good lives that subvert the power structures, not by shouting them down by force or by force and taking it away, but to change them from below and from within by living such holy lives, godly lives, good lives, We are taking the power away from those who think they have power. They subverted unjust powers from positions of perceived weakness by imitating the one who left the example for us to follow. We see that in verse 21 onwards, where Peter says to them, to this you were called. Think of that. To this you were called. You were called to be a slave. You were called in that that moment to live under the oppression of this government. You were called, but you are called to this, more importantly, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus models what it means to bear the burden of persecution, of suffering, of injustice by doing good and living a holy life that upends the world. You see, we don't see him upend the domination of Caesar and Rome, but he does. In his life and ministry, we don't see him overthrow the power of slavery in ancient Palestine, but he does. We don't see him liberate Israel the way they expect, but he does. And he does all of this by modeling the perfect obedience to the will of the Father. And he takes It all, he dies on the cross for our sin, quote, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, as he says in verse 24. He submits to earthly authority of Pilate, of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. He submits to all these things in view of submitting to the Father's authority. And that's the example he calls us to follow in. And we find that this is true freedom. This is a life of true good. This is the way that we can bear the burden of persecution and suffering with grace. Not just for our lives, but grace that changes the world around us. Those who come to trust in God have a strength to bear these burdens that the world doesn't know. Jesus' followers can remain faithful in times of distress with the confidence that God will judge, and God will vindicate them as they follow God and trust and obey. You see, when you have responded to God's gracious invitation in Christ Jesus, you know that you will enjoy the salvation that God has promised. It doesn't depend 
on you. The death and resurrection of Jesus is how Christ's followers are called to live in this world. Christ suffered and then entered into glory. And so too will his followers. And it's because of this truth that we can become gracious burden bearers in the world. Let me conclude with two quick stories. When Peter encourages the church to live such good lives that others may see your good deeds and glorify God, what might that look like? It might look like bearing the burdens of our wider community together. Not just waiting for the government or someone else to take care of it. When historians have looked back at the activities of the church in ancient Palestine, they found that many of them made contributions to the good of society in the form of benefactions. Benefactions are generous giving that is generous giving that benefits society as a whole, not just the church. One example was how the church responded in times of famine and, and food became scarce and expensive. What the church did was they used their resources to buy supplies of grain in times of need. And they would buy entire shiploads of, of grain-carrying ships to the city, and they would flood the market and force down the price of grain for the whole region. So imagine that. The Christian church was involved in market manipulation, but for good. The Christian church was also involved in erecting public buildings and refurbishing the theaters and widening the roads and helping to construct public utilities and in helping the cities in times of need. You know, despite already having to pay taxes to a foreign superpower and also the charges on top of that to your local tax collector, they took it upon themselves to do good not only for themselves, but for their wider community. Doing good was not just a private, individual exercise. They mobilized together to bear the burdens of the wider community in the city so that God's grace would be revealed. So I wonder what that might look like here at WCF in Washington, D.C. Maybe the Learning Lab is just one step of that or other things that we've done in the past. But as God moves us to bear this burden of obeying God, and bearing God's grace to the world, what could that generosity look like to the world around us? As we concluded our first round of town halls in our, in our LGBTQ discernment process, I wonder what this posture of living truly free under authority might look like. You know, over the four gatherings, I heard questions that reflected a spectrum of views on human sexuality and, and what scripture has to say about it. I also heard fears expressed of certain perspectives being marginalized by those on the other side, especially if one's view is more advocated more than the other by church leadership. Those who hold a more affirming perspective are fearful that a more traditional perspective doesn't sufficiently reflect God's gracious love. And those who hold a more traditional perspective are fearful that those who hold a more affirming perspective do not take scripture and the call to holiness sufficiently. In many ways, our world is overly concerned with who holds sway in earthly institutions, and the church in some ways is an earthly institution, an aspect of it. But as Peter's letter reminds us, we can submit to every human authority for the Lord's sake. 
when we submit to earthly authority, whether we agree with it completely or not, with submission to God first and out of a desire to do good, we model a grace to the world that seems impossible. And it is impossible apart from God's grace at work in us. The path of following Jesus is worn deep by the feet of those who are willing to bear these burdens together. We all live under authority. And we may disagree with the authority of those above us. We may find ourselves working jobs that we feel tied to and not passionate about. We may think we don't have the freedom that we deserve. But when we submit to those situations by submitting to God first, we find that our perspective changes. We discover a true freedom that does not require that our situations change first. We know they ultimately will when Jesus comes again. And so we can work for the good of our community. We can work for the good of the world around us. We can and we should work to right injustices, but our joy and our security and our hope do not depend on seeing those injustices righted in our lifetimes. That's what true freedom of the gospel offers us. Whatever authority you find yourselves living under, May we live good lives together. May we follow in the footsteps of Jesus together and so graciously reflect his beauty, his kindness, his righteousness, and godliness for all the world to see. May it be so. Amen.